Good morning. Our passage this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 2 through 13. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And as you go to your seats, let's pray. Father, you are good to us. We long to to hear those words echo in our mind and heart that, that we are your children, that when you look upon us, you see Jesus, those of us who are found in him, and, and in him you are well pleased. I pray that you would uh, be with me as we open God's word together, we see what you might have for us here in this time, in this way in this particular text. Spirit, do the work that you are pleased to do to change our hearts, to allow us to continue to worship with great joy. And we ask all this humbly in Christ's name. Amen. So great to be with you again. We uh, started the Gospel of Mark last week. If you're with us, I know many of you were not, we are going to be here in chapter one of the Gospel of Mark uh, this morning. We've titled our whole series, Understanding Our King. And a uh, quick shout out to Jordan Winkler for making our series graphic. She always does such a great job. I love this graphic. Uh, this is our king. We're going to be over many, many months uh, walking through the gospel of Mark, and we're going to be able to see who is this king? Who is King Jesus? What is his kingdom like? And do we understand who he is? What we're going to see in the Gospel of Mark over and over again is that uh, those who we thought for sure would understand who Jesus is are the ones who don't, and we're surprised constantly by the ones who we would never consider thinking that they would understand who Jesus is, being the very ones who do. And all of this, a work of God. 
And this morning we're going to uh, look at baptism. Obviously, we've already seen baptism here in real life and in real time this morning. Last week we looked at uh, one verse. We looked at the very beginning of Mark, verse 1. And it was an announcement from Mark about what this story is going to be about, this entire book. Uh, And we talked about that his announcement was that this was victorious news. This was good news. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we said that Jesus is one that is uh, going to bring about this victory in, in ways that we could never have fathomed. And that Jesus was going to be the one who reveals the Father's heart. And in fact, in our text this morning... We are actually going to hear from the Father. We're going to hear from the Father's heart. This is a voice that we're actually going to hear cry out in the wilderness. If, if you uh, heard this text, we just read it, that Sawyer read over us, we see that all of this is happening in the wilderness. And there are voices in the wilderness. In fact, we're going to see three different voices this morning. We're going to see John the Baptist's voice, the voice crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for Jesus. We're going to hear the most important voice in this passage, that of the Father that Chris talked about just a minute ago, the Father uh, from heaven speaking into the wilderness. And then we're going to see someone else show up on the scene speaking a different type of voice. And so here's the main idea. If you got uh, one of those handouts on the way in, the main idea is voices in the wilderness can either delight or destroy Voices in the wilderness can delight or they can destroy. Now, uh, let's first look at John the Baptist. He's the first voice that we hear in this text. And John speaks of the way to the Son. That's the first point on your handout. John the Baptist speaks to the way to the Son. Now, right off the bat in this passage here in Mark, we read about uh, something that's happening in the Old Testament. So there in verse 2, we see, as it is written in Isaiah, the prophet, we read about someone who's going to cry out in the wilderness and prepare the way of the Lord. And this, these two verses, verses 2 and 3, are actually a, a quote from the Old Testament. It's actually two different texts, even though Mark says this is a quote from Isaiah. It's actually uh, two different quotes, one from Malachi 3, verse 1, and the other from Isaiah 40, verse 3, which is uh, what we read as our call to worship. Now, the reason more than likely that uh, Mark is saying this is from Isaiah instead of this is from Isaiah and Malachi is that if you remember last week, we talked about that the primary audience for Mark were Roman Gentile Christians. And so they did not have a full depth and breadth of the Old Testament scriptures as the Jews did. And so the, one of the most favorite prophets in the Old Testament was Isaiah. And so more than likely, the audience would have known Okay, this is someone important in the history of God's people. He is saying something significant. So that's the reason why it says from Isaiah. But what's significant about that? Why, why would Mark begin this story with a quote of what's going on from Old Testament prophets Malachi and Isaiah? 
What, what is happening here and what the people at the time would have certainly seen is that this is the announcement of a new exodus. This is a new exodus. This is what God had long promised his people, just like they were rescued out of Egypt all those years ago. And we see that God will send a messenger. He will send a, a man who will prepare God's people for this deliverer for this one who will redeem them. And then we see there in verse 4, John appeared. John appeared. Here is John the Baptist. He's, he's appearing on the scene. He is, in many ways, the last of the Old Testament prophets. He is the one long promised would be this man, the one who, as we understand the Old Testament, would be a new Elijah. In the Old Testament, we, we, we've been told over and over again to uh, wait for and be anticipating a, an Elijah to come and announce the coming of God. If you would, turn with me just a few pages back to the Old Testament. If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to open up to Malachi chapter 4. What I'm going to read are the last two verses of the entire Old Testament, just to give us some context this morning about what is happening. These are the last words written in the Old Testament, and it would be 400 years or so later before the pages of the New Testament open up. And so this is where we are in the history of God's people. Malachi 4, beginning in verse 5, says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Those are the last words of Malachi. And again, 400 years of silence before we see that the new Elijah has shown up in the person of John the Baptist. And we see that uh, and then we see that this John the Baptist, this new Elijah, is coming, baptizing in the wilderness. And being in the wilderness, this is where John is in Judea, in the wilderness, is important. Being in the wilderness is something significant for us. And what we see is that in the wilderness, just like it was in the Old Testament, is a great place of hope and new beginnings. This is where John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And we read that many are coming to uh, the, the wilderness of Judea to John to be baptized. Many, many come confessing their sins. And so not only do we see that the wilderness is a place of hope and new beginnings, but we also see that the wilderness is a place of repentance and grace. John speaks of the way to the Son. And what we see is that this way is marked by repentance, that John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance. We're going to talk a lot about repentance next week as we look at the first words that Jesus says in the gospel of Mark. But for this week, it's good enough to know that repentance is the straight path to turn away from our sins and toward God, receiving mercy and forgiveness. That is repentance. It's a turning away from our own idolatry, from our own proclivity to go our own way and to be our own God and to turn to the true and living God. That is 
the straight way that John is proclaiming ahead of Jesus Christ. And how often do we, either in our own hearts or in those around us, see that uh, straight paths are being made crooked? The taking what God has said is a straight path and manipulating it or twisting it into ways that are not straight, are, are not repentance. I came across this, this verse even this week in my, in my devotional time from Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 13, we read about a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Uh, this is a false prophet. In many ways, you can think of this man as the opposite, the antithesis of John the Baptist, who is proclaiming truth, who is proclaiming repentance. And listen to what the Apostle Paul says to Bar-Jesus in Acts 13. He says, you are the son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy. Will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? When someone says that following Jesus can be done without repentance from sin, or when someone puts man at the center of the gospel, or when people claim that Jesus calls what is good evil and what is evil good, when any of these things are happening, what we are seeing is that these people, or maybe even we, are making crooked that which is the straight path of the Lord. And may we not do that. May it not be so. Here, we see John the Baptist proclaiming and preparing the way of the Lord, and his path says, confess and repent. That is the true way to the Lord. About five years ago, uh, when I was at the Village Church in Fort Worth, one of our elders, a beloved man named Tim Presson, died uh, fairly suddenly. He was, he was in his 50s. He had been an elder, a lay elder with us for several years. He, he was certainly beloved. And I'll never forget at Tim's funeral uh, that one of our other elders, uh, as he was eulogizing Tim, uh, called Tim a type of John the Baptist. It was the first time in my life where I had even considered that this character that we read about here in the Gospel of Mark and in the Gospel of Matthew and Luke as well, and John, that this, this man, John the Baptist, could, could be compared to anybody that I know or knew. But it's true. It's certainly true of Tim. Tim spent his life, a good portion of his life, faithfully proclaiming the Gospel and pointing everyone that he knew to Jesus Christ. Tim Presson spoke of the way to the Son, Jesus, just like John the Baptist did. And in many ways, in a very small, feeble way this morning, this is what I'm attempting to do, the, uh, unpacking the Scriptures, not wanting you at all to, to see me up here as much as I hope and desire and plead with the Lord that you would see Jesus that, that as I stand here and proclaim to you a, a, a gospel of repentance, a gospel of grace, that you would, you would understand and see Jesus. That it wouldn't be about me, it would be about Him. Are you looking toward Him? That's the, the task each week when, when the preacher comes up to the pulpit to unpack the Scriptures, pointing to Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, 
I'll offer this to everyone. We are all little John the Baptists in our own way. We are all John the Baptists in the sense that we're all walking through a wilderness. We're all in our different parts of this wilderness. And as John the Baptist proclaims the goodness of the Lord and proclaims a repentance, you, around the dinner table later tonight perhaps, or in a conversation with a friend from school, or with someone that you are working with that doesn't know the Lord, you are the ones that, like John the Baptist, and with the humility of John the Baptist, are pointing everyone from every, every nation to Jesus. This is the Great Commission. This is what we're all called to do, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ, teaching and proclaiming Him to the nations. And so, be John the Baptist's. Even if you want to wear uh, this camel hair and locust, maybe you would want to do that this week. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you how to dress while you proclaim the goodness of the Lord, but be John the Baptist. And in doing so, you are proclaiming in a faithful way the greatness of Jesus Christ. Now, I want us to to see something very, I think, very important in this text as we continue, because John is just the first voice that we, that we see or observe in this passage in Mark 1, but uh, I think, I don't have to argue too intently that he is not the most important voice that we read in this passage. He is a, uh, a voice of preparation. He is a voice proclaiming what is at hand, but the next voice that we're going to look at is indeed the most important one. But I think it's important to really get the context of what is going on here by considering, once again, that passage in Malachi that we read just a few minutes ago. And I'll go back to it just briefly. And, and what it says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 5, it says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, what the, what the people of God were waiting for, again, they were waiting 400 years. They were waiting for, according to that passage in Malachi, that this Elijah would come, and he would come announcing the great and awesome day of the Lord. And so now John the Baptist, the new Elijah, if you will, is on the scene in the wilderness proclaiming the day of the Lord, the kingdom is coming, make uh, straight the pass of this one, the great and awesome day of the Lord, and who shows up? In verse 9, but a man, a man, an ordinary man, by all, by all accounts, by all appearances, this is a man from Galilee, Jesus shows up. What's incredible here and what Mark is wanting us to see in this text is that the great and awesome day of the Lord that Malachi was talking about 400 years ago, we're waiting for Jesus, we're waiting for the Lord here he is, a man who is fully man and yet also fully God, and he's here. The kingdom is at hand. And so, we see that Jesus, like Chris said a minute ago, is baptized, that he comes and is baptized by John. And the next voice that we hear is the voice of God the Father. God the Father speaks of his love for the Son. God the Father speaks of His love for the Son. Now these, these uh, 
three verses here, verses 9 through 11. Uh, There is uh, so much packed into three verses. We mentioned this last week that Mark is an incredible storyteller. He is not incredibly verbose. He doesn't spend a lot of time talking about this event. It's three verses. Uh, Chris referenced the Gospel of Matthew, which goes into much greater detail about what is all happening here when Jesus comes and is baptized. But there's a lot of rich theology in these three verses alone. I think one of the first questions we need to ask is why is Jesus baptized. And Chris talked a little bit about this earlier, that in many ways it was to fulfill uh, what was promised long ago when Jesus was coming onto the scene, uh, that Jesus would be baptized by John, even though obviously he did not need to be confessing any sins. He didn't have any sins. Jesus is the sinless one. So why on earth was he coming to be baptized by John? Well, in many ways, Jesus is wanting us to understand immediately when he first shows up on the scene to be baptized, he is saying, I identify with you. He is willingly identifying with us as sinners. This is the first indication that Jesus is going to be willing to identify with people who have fallen short, with people who are in idolatry, with people who are rebelling. Jesus is coming and saying, I'm identifying with those who need this baptism. I'm choosing to identify with you. And so from moment one, when Jesus shows up on the scene in the Gospel of Mark, he is saying, I'm with you. I'm with you. And then what happens next in this story is remarkable. Uh, we, we see the heavens are literally torn open. The, the heavens are torn open and the Holy Spirit appears as a dove and rests on Jesus. He descends onto Jesus. And then we hear the voice of the Father come down from heaven. And as Chris mentioned, this is the triune God at work at this time. This is the Trinity. This is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. There's so much we could say about what's going on here. As you can uh, only imagine how much richness and depth that we could begin to plumb the depths of what the Trinity is. Who is God in three persons in many ways so mysterious, but it's important to at least point out that the God of three persons, this triune God, is present at this time. It's present at a moment where a new creation is happening. We, we recalled last week that Mark in verse 1 says that it was the beginning of the gospel. And he uses that word beginning in a very purposeful way because he's meaning for us to go back and remember the very beginning of our Bibles in Genesis 1, that God is creator God. And here, what is happening as Jesus is showing up, a new kingdom is coming, Jesus being baptized into the water, coming out of the water, something new is happening. There's a new creation and the Trinity is present. The Spirit, just like he was in creation in Genesis, hovering over the void, hovering over the waters. Now we see the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters of Jesus' baptism. Just like we read in Genesis 1 that God speaks in the creation account, we see here God is speaking again. God the Father is speaking in this new creation, and we see the Word made flesh all present here as we see the inauguration of a new creation. Something new is happening. 
The Spirit is anointing, and the Father is declaring the arrival of the Messiah. The King of the world has come. This is an incredible scene. This is remarkable. This is recreating the entire world through and in the person of Jesus Christ, in and through the Son, who the Father speaks, this is the one who I am well pleased. This is my Son. The first words that we hear from heaven into the wilderness is a declaration of sonship. You are my beloved Son. With you, I am well pleased. With you, I have great delight. This is the self-giving love of the Father declaring over his Son. This is full and glorious and magnificent. And Mark is showing the people at this time, and certainly us, that first and foremost, God is inviting us into a type of love story. The very opening words from God himself in the Gospel of Mark is inviting you and me into a type of love story. Then immediately, in verse 12, we, we, we see the, the sudden shift. Here is something magnificent, glorious, loving. And immediately, in verse 12, we see something uh, altogether different. We see something sinister, it seems. The Spirit, the same Spirit that has just descended upon Jesus, drives Him deeper into the wilderness. And Mark is certainly showing us in this that Jesus is the new Adam. If, if Adam there in Genesis 1 and 2 created uh, the one who is going to keep the covenant with God, and yet we know he did not in the fall, that he chose sin, he chose rebellion, here is Jesus being driven into the wilderness where the first Adam was tempted in the garden, the last Adam is now tempted in the wilderness. He's driven there. The same language that Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden of Eden, Jesus is driven further into the wilderness. And here we see that the wilderness is not only a place of new beginnings and hope and of repentance and grace, but we see the wilderness is a place of great trial and testing. But unlike Adam, Jesus will keep the covenant with God. We're told uh, a lot more about this scene and the other gospel accounts in, in Matthew and Luke. This scene where Jesus is being tempted by Satan, uh, no doubt you remember from the other gospels, there's a lot more detail. There's detail about what Satan says. There's details about how Jesus actually responds in this time. But uh, being Mark, uh, he's incredibly brief. It's just two verses. But what we see in just these two verses is Satan speaks of his hatred for for the Son. That's the third point this morning on your handout. Satan speaks of his hatred for the Son. Again, it's, a, it's an abrupt scene change. We are coming from the incredible love of the Father, and now we're in, in the midst of the incredible hatred of the devil himself. He, the devil, tempting Jesus, and, and of course, he is still doing the very same thing to us now. The devil tempts Jesus here in the wilderness, and here we are in our wilderness being tempted all the time. We are tempted to believe the wicked lie 
uh, that was there in the Garden of Eden and uh, there here in this wilderness where Jesus finds himself in Mark 1 and, and in our hearts and in our places and in our minds today, we hear the same lie that life apart from God is where it's at. That Satan is constantly whispering, sometimes shouting at us, uh, life with God is not going to bring you what you want. Life with God is not going to bring you joy unending. It is away from God that you'll find your fulfillment, your greatest self, everything that you were made to do is apart from God, and that is the lie that the devil is tempting Jesus with in this moment, and that is teaching or tempting us with even today. Now, notice that uh, in, in these verses, it's not just uh, Satan's words that are tempting Jesus, but we also read that there were wild animals uh, present. You see, he was with the wild animals. Uh, I think this, again, like just about everything, if not everything, that Mark is writing, it's very purposeful, it's very uh, pointed to the audience that he was writing to at the time. And at this time, so many of the Roman Christians were finding themselves being thrown to wild animals by the Roman Emperor Nero. That was what was happening at the time. And so when we read that Jesus was with the wild animals, so many of the original audience would have gone, we, we, know, we know people who have been thrown to wild animals, and here Jesus was with wild animals. And just in another way that Jesus is choosing to identify with his people, that he's identifying with his people in their baptism. He's identifying with his people in being tempted by the evil one, and he's, being, uh, and he's identifying with his people by even being in the presence of wild animals, being in the presence of persecution, Clearly, Satan and wild beasts are still at work today. I've mentioned that we are constantly tempted by the enemy, by the evil one, and, and we are constantly seeing forms of persecution uh, over God's people and his church all throughout the world. We've talked about this before, that uh, whatever type of persecution we might say that we're experiencing here maybe is somewhere on the spectrum, not as severe as we're seeing in other parts of the world. We're out and out, believers in Jesus Christ, their lives are being threatened. They are, they are being tempted to disavow their faith and disavow their Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're seeing it all over the place all the time. This passage, these verses are playing out with God's people all the time. I was just, uh, even this week, reading a, an article out of the Christian Post about a pastor uh, whose name is Eleazar Sidhu, and he is in Pakistan, and he was shot in the past couple of weeks by Muslim extremists after he refused to recite the Islamic creed. At gunpoint, they asked him to denounce his faith and to recite the Islamic Creed, and instead, Pastor Sidhu recited the Apostles' Creed, and he was shot. They opened fire on him as he recited the Apostles' Creed. Family, the, the enemy is still at work trying to get us to believe lies. The enemy is still at work ravaging God's people, ravaging the church. So here we are. Here we are in the wilderness, and we hear two different voices. We hear voices of delight. We hear, here he is, here's our new king. And we hear, here is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. 
So in the wilderness, we have voices of delight, and in the wilderness, we have voices of destruction. And the question for us is, which father's voice will we listen to? The father in heaven or the father of lies? A father who loves you or a father who hates you? That's what stands before us today. Now, as I close this morning, I want to see in this passage something that I think is uh, incredibly foundational. It's fundamental, I think, to understanding who we are as God's people. What is happening, as we saw this morning, as we, we uh, see that uh, faith in Christ has manifested itself in us, that we celebrate uh, that uh, God is ransoming and redeeming people unto himself. And in the baptismal waters, we're seeing that proclaimed to a lost and dying world. It's powerful. And what I think is important to see, and what is foundational, is that God is eternally a father loving his son. God is eternally a father loving the son. The voice from heaven, the most important voice that we see in this passage, this, this voice did not say, this, this is my son, this is your king, although he is the king. Uh, God the Father did not say, this is your son, he is so obedient, although he is, Jesus is perfectly obedient. God the Father did not say, this is my son. He is really smart or he is really wise. Nor did the Father not say anything. The Father did speak. Jesus was not the first one to speak. Isn't that interesting? Jesus did not come out of the water and say, here I am. I'm the son of God. I'm your king. I've come. That's not what happens here. What, what happens is Jesus joyfully receives his identity as the beloved from his holy father. We hear a lot today about this topic or this idea of identity. This, what we read here in the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, this is the stuff of identity. This is identity language. God the Father pronounces an identity. This is my beloved Son. Jesus receives the ultimate identity and meaning from God the Father. He is the beloved Son. And friends, when you become a Christian, you are adopted by this Father and you receive your most important identity from Him as well. This is what we just saw. This is what we just saw when, when Sophia and Sophia and Stephen and Olive went into the waters and came out of the waters. This is exactly what we saw. Adopted children of a good father. A father who looks upon uh, these sweet people, these sweet children, uh, this sweet young man and, and sees Christ. And the father sees that we are united to Jesus Christ. And when he sees these folks coming out of the water, these are beloved children with whom he has great delight. This, this is how we were meant to live. This is how it is always meant to be. This is, this is the truest thing about you and me, believer, is that we are found in Christ and that we are beloved children of the Father. We are caught up in this love story. This is the love story that, that God himself has pronounced over his son and is announcing to us this is a love story. It's not, it's not less than that. It's certainly 
foundational to how we understand Christianity. It's a love story. We're caught up in relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. And we don't, we don't earn this. We don't earn our identity. We don't strive to be sons and, and daughters of the king. The, the, this, is, this is what we receive. We don't achieve it. We uh, receive it. We receive in faith this identity and this love in Jesus Christ. And so if you have not put your faith in this son, if you have not trusted Jesus as your king, then you will not hear these words that our hearts and minds long to hear. If, if you are not a believer in Christ, if you are far from God, then you don't hear the Father saying, you are my beloved. But the invitation today is to live in the only way that you really can live, and that is within this divine love story. So that's the invitation That's what we're called into. This is what God the Father pronounces and announces in this passage over the Son and over us. And we can't can't get around the fact that God has revealed himself as Father loving his Son. We mentioned, I think that is the most foundational thing that we see in this passage, that God is a Father eternally loving his Son. And so uh, if we're going to pick an application out of this text, I think a very good application would be to fathers. It's not a mistake. It's not just a random uh, relationship that God thought would be neat and cool, and then and we'll make other fathers here on earth. This is really foundational. And so if you're a dad, this is foundational for us. This is important for us. Your words matter a lot, fathers, because you have the ability to paint a picture of what Father God is like. Dads, we should reflect God the Father to our kids. It's a glorious thing when I see fathers walking in the fear of the Lord ministering and discipling their children, speaking words of life over them. You see, when a father is praising their son or daughter, it is a quieter echo of what we read here in Mark chapter 1, verse 11. It's a picture of that. It's an echo of that. You are my beloved. In you, I am well pleased. And I know there's a longing in so many of our hearts when it comes to hearing a father's voice. Some of you, some of us, have not heard very often from our earthly fathers, I love you. In fact, some of us have heard more often than not, instead of I am well pleased in you, you've, you've heard not good enough. You've heard not smart enough. Maybe you haven't heard anything from your earthly father Maybe he has been silent your whole life. I think this is one of the reasons why people bristle at this idea that a father would give them an identity. I think that's why so many today are, uh, it's one of the reasons why we're, we're seeing so many people struggling and striving and trying to create their own identity because they've rejected any, any idea that their father or anyone outside them can bring them a meaningful identity. They can only create it for themselves. But again, your most important identity is given to you, not by earthly fathers, but by God the Father. The most important 
statement that can be made about you, the most important thing that can validate you and bring you meaning is what God the Father says about you and to you. There's this modern lie that we can validate ourselves by coming up with our own identity and what he says about you, what God the Father says about you, that you're loved, that you're delighted in. That's what we're called to live out of. There's no validation worth comparing to that of God himself. Whether your earthly dad was absent, whether your dad was or is wicked, whether your dad was or is godly, Christian, we are delighted in by Father God as we delight in the Son. And only Jesus could do this for us. Again, apart from Jesus, none of us hear the words of Father God saying, you are my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. But because of the person and work of Jesus Christ on our behalf, we now get to hear those words. So, do we understand our King? That, that in many ways is the task at hand, not just for this morning, but for the rest of our time in the, in the Gospel of Mark. Do we understand who Jesus is? Now, as we close, let me, let me again, like John the Baptist, appoint us to the Son of God. Because as we continue in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will be driven later on to an even more barren wilderness than what we read about here in chapter 1. Jesus is going to be driven to the wilderness of the cross. And Satan is going to offer his greatest temptation on the cross. And we're going to see people at the cross, even those who are crucified on either side of Jesus and those in the crowd, behaving like the wild animals we read about here in Mark chapter 1. There will be wild animals at the crucifixion, devouring, shouting, spitting, taunting Jesus. And Jesus, hanging there on the cross, will himself resemble a wild animal. And he's doing so to identify with even these people who would shout these nasty things at him and blaspheme and uh, this kangaroo court that was the crucifixion, the biggest injustice in the history of the world. And Jesus would hang like a wild animal, choosing to identify with these same people in order to save them. On that day, in the crucifixion, the, the, the sound of uh, something being torn open will not be the heavens, but it will be the curtain that separates the heavens from earth. But on that day, when the curtain is torn, we don't hear the Father's voice. The Father is silent on that day. The only thing we hear on that day is the single voice of Jesus Christ crying out in agony as he hung there and died for your sins and for mine. The cross was the baptism. The baptism that, that John did with Jesus is only a small picture of what happens on the cross. On the cross, Jesus is baptized into death itself. And he absorbs the wrath of God instead of the delight of the Father. He absorbs the wrath of God. Jesus not only identifies with us on the cross, but he is there to save us. He just want, doesn't want to identify with sinners. He wants to save sinners, and so he does on the cross. 
the wilderness, this cross, as a place of suffering, but it becomes a place of redemption. And the great exodus that we have been longing for happens with Jesus hanging on a tree. And when he rose three days later, he heard the Father again declare his love for his Son. And now we hear it too. This is my beloved Son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. Let us pray. Father, we are grateful and overwhelmed that you would send your Son to die for us, the one in whom you are well pleased, eternally loving the Son from before time itself, in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that you would send your Son to take on flesh and to die for me and to die for my friends. Oh, what a gospel. Oh, what love. Help us to hear in our wilderness, in this uh, time of great hope and expectation, but also in this time where we are continually tempted, when we are continually suffering, when we hear lies, when we're subject to persecution, may we not hear the father of lies. May the loudest voice in our head be that of Father God who speaks his love over us, who declares our sonship and daughtership. This is who we are. Uh, this is the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. We love you. We are so grateful that we can gather and pronounce and proclaim these things together. And it's in Christ's name that we do pray. Amen.